Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. It's coming home, it's coming. It came home. Football's coming home. It came home, we did it. It was fantastic. It was all those little men running around in their shorts. And it really... <laughs> Put it into context, Jones. Go it, on. It kind of made me quite sad watching the football because last night's semi-final and it's Euro... It's still called Euros 20, even though it's 2021 because it didn't happen last year. And I was just quite sad sitting on the sofa on my own with the colleagues watching the football. 21 years ago, I watched Euro 2000s in Ian Fleming's house on Jamaica with my future husband. And even though he was annoying watching Euro 2000 and he kept closing the blinds and wouldn't come outside or wouldn't go in the pool um, because he had to watch every single game on the telly, it was so nice seeing a man who was in love with something and so knowledgeable and enthusiastic and passionate so his passion for Euro 2000s and his love made me fall in love with him because I thought, gosh, there is someone inside there. There is someone who's got some emotion and some feeling. And it was quite sweet and touching that he was so in love with these footballers that he knew them all intimately. He knew all their names. And we then spent many years watching football together and particularly Italian football because... He loved the Italian game and I thought all the players were so handsome and I knew all their names. And it was quite sad, really, watching the football last night. I didn't really know any of their names. And they all seemed so young, these footballers. And all the footballers I'd known in that 21 years were now sort of grey-haired commentators who'd gone to fat. Um, (laughs) And it made me really nostalgic for when I used to watch football with my husband. And it is like a bonding experience. But did you like football before you was with your husband? No. Or you just no. got to it through him? I got Well, I'd watched um, Italian 90, you know, when Nessun Dorma was the signature tune. And I watched yes. that on a tiny little telly in Finsbury Park when I was renting a flat from my friend. But I'd only watched the big occasions. But with my husband, we watched... Every match, midweek, match of the day, you know, Gary Lineker, I fell in love with Gary Lineker, and it just made me feel, watching last night, it just made me feel quite old, and where have those 21 years gone? So fast. Where have they gone so fast? And all those footballers are now commentators or retired in the mansions, but I'm still going. I'm still working and I'm still trying to make it. And everyone else has retired. So it was a mixture of emotions watching the football. I sort of, I missed that experience of sitting on a sofa with a man and just being involved in something. 
Yeah. I would have watched it with you if I liked football, but I don't. So I, I think people who didn't watch it are just there's something a bit wrong. You're missing a chromosome. I was doing or the horses. I was doing the horses. You're missing a chromosome. <laughs> I was doing like mucking out. <laughs> and it's just after such a difficult year, part of me slightly wants Italy to win on Sunday because they had such... Well, the players are better looking. They had such a difficult Don't time listen, with COVID. I remember that scene with Andrea Bocelli standing on the steps singing this and Ness and Dorma again and the streets of Milan were with tumbleweed and the streets of Rome with tumbleweed and Italy had such a terrible time with COVID. I slightly, slightly want Italy to win. You can't say that. That's terrible. And they are more handsome. You can't... No, that's, that's horrible. English boys, don't listen. They are, but let's not say it. You know what I mean? It's a bit mean. <laughs> but it was fantastic. And even in the middle of the countryside, it ended and I immediately took the dogs out for a walk and you could hear ch- people cheering. And it was so moving after everyone being so miserable for so long. You could hear people being happy and I was quite yeah. cheerful. I, I have to say, I mean, I hate football. I've got no interest in it whatsoever. I don't but think you've got any interest in anything, really, Nat. I have. I have. What are you? What are you passionate about? Uh, animals and animal welfare. But watching sport just doesn't. So, do are you me. going to watch the final on Sunday? I'm torn, really. I'm lots torn, of torn. Not lots really. Lots of. Italian men running around in shorts. I just don't get it. I mean, what is the point what of running around? What is not to like about 11 Italian men running around in shorts? Well, I just don't see the point of running around with a ball and trying to get it into a, into a hole. I just don't see the point of it. Beginning to watch football with my husband, I was completely clueless. I thought at half-time the fans had to change ends as well. So everyone got up and all went round to the other side. I thought the fans had to change ends. Oh, even I know that. And last night, watching the semi-final, I was going to England, just aim at the goal, just put it in the penalty area. Oh, Why are they mucking about? You've been practising, you've been doing this since you were five years old. Just put it in the penalty box, but they muck about and dribble and turn around and go the other way. But how hard can it be, honestly? You kick the ball in a direction. How difficult can it be, Really? <laughs> They should have you as a guest commentator on Sunday. I don't. I think I'd be lynched, wouldn't I? I would be lynched. <laughs> I've just now spoilt my chances of another boyfriend ever again in my life. You don't I? want another boyfriend. No, no. I want. A, I want an Andalusian. That's what I want. I want a horse. A, I want. A, I want a young Andalusian horse. <laughs> Far more trainable. Oh, it's Minnie's birthday today. And I tried oh, to find the conical party hat that I put on Gracie and I can't find it. Gracie probably ate it, didn't she, or chewed it or... So Mini Puppy is 12. Mini Puppy's 12. Now that makes me feel old. I remember when she was a baby and the first night and she slept in my bed. She oh. was such a naughty puppy. Mini oh. Puppy's prime objective in life was to run away. You put her outside for a week and she was just off, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was. All you saw a mini puppy was her backside disappearing in her distance with a little furtive look over her shoulder that said, sod you, I'm going. She had no recall. <laughs> She's not food orientated, so you couldn't get her to recall with, with food. And, she, and I used to have to phone people in my village 
to say many puppies off, a header off at the pass, and people would go in the road and head her off. Do you remember that time she ran off down the hill and it was sheet ice down this really steep hill? And I was running behind her, throwing bonios at her to try and make her stop. And I was going, don't hit mini puppy. <laughs> and we were skidding down this hill on the ice. <laughs> so she's 12 years old and she's the best dog in the world, mini puppy. And if I could say who is the love of my life, it would be mini puppy. Because I just love her with every fibre of my being. I love that puppy. She's, what is she having for dinner today? Because at the moment, Minnie Puppy turns down all food except chicken, doesn't she? But last night, she even turned down chicken. Yeah, you got up your game, haven't you? It's you, got, you to got be, up your game. It's got to be room temperature Marks and Spencer's chicken yeah. or she won't eat it. Yeah. She's not food-oriented. She's not, actually. She's not, but she is the sweetest dog. And, and today, she's been out for a poo before we started, hasn't Has she? she? Well, I, th- I presume so because she's quiet. She might be saving it. Oh, God. Right, OK. <laughs> something to look forward to. So how's your week been, Nicola, not watching the football? I've had a good week. I have read Matt the Comfort Book by Matt Haig, his new book, which I'm just waiting Matt at Haig this. is Nicola's new Bryony Gordon. He is. Well, I read I read his Midnight Library, which I reviewed before, which was amazing. And if you want to work for someone else, go ahead. If they pay more, I'm going. I'm a slave to the money. So he wrote The Midnight Library, which is now being turned into a film, which is an amazing book. And I also read The Notes on a Nervous Planet. He's, he's very well known as a, a mental health advocate. Um, and he's written this book, The Comfort Book, and it's great. Is it comforting? It Well, do you know what it is? It's If you feel down and you're fed up and that, you don't necessarily want to read a big self-help book, do you? You don't want reams and reams of text you can't really be bothered with it. If this is just on every page. There's a little paragraph and it's short, it's sweet and it's a book of all stuff that's made him feel better. In is his it journey. like keep calm and carry on? <laughs> Some of it is. Um, it, it's all about his journey and what's made him feel better. And what I like about it is you can Vodka. just pick it up. Vodka. And you can dip no, <laughs> champagne. It's, you can just pick it up and dip into it. And it, you can read it in like a few seconds and put it back down again if you want to. So one of them, like for instance, is it's it's really personal. So one of them is like making a peanut butter sandwich, you know. And I don't have any bread and I don't have any peanut butter. <sighs> do shopping, woman. Do shopping. Yeah, but sometimes you're too depressed to go to the shops. You don't well, have any bread. You don't have any but peanut it's butter. Kind of just what would make you feel good. So for you, it would be like an oily bath, wouldn't it, or something like that. It's just about picking up something that's for you. So this is his personal book. And I read one page in this that made me think particularly of you. And I thought it, I'm going to share it actually because I thought it was a really good list. We like a list. And it says, 10 things that won't make you happier. One, wanting to be someone you aren't. Two, wishing you could undo a past that can't be undone. Three, taking out your hurt on people that didn't cause your hurt. Four, trying to distract... I don't do that. A lot of people do, though. I they, don't. They, they punch out. I don't do that. Uh, but you have wanted to be someone else. You have No, wanted... I haven't. You have. Kira want... Knightley. <laughs> Megan, Megan. Megan. Uh, four, trying to distract yourself from pain by doing something that creates more pain. Five, being a- unable to forgive yourself. Six, waiting for people to understand you when they don't even understand themselves. 
Seven, imagining happiness is a place you reach when you get everything done. I think that's a big one. When I'll be happy when I'm this. Like in your book, when I'm eight and a half stone, I'll be happy. Uh, eight, trying to control things in the universe characterised by unpredictability. Nine, avoiding painful memories by resisting a contented present. And ten, the belief that you have to be happy. And that really resonated. I thought that was a really good list of things that are really common that we try and do. And it's not going to make you happy. So, what does, though? And I think that's what... I think the realisation that you don't always have to be happy. You can be content and that's okay. And you don't have to worry about other people. I think that's going to be a theme. What you just said there was you don't have to be happy. You have to be content. So I'm... I've spent my life trying to have the perfect life. So I wanted the perfect house, you know, the Asian writer, younger husband, the perfect car, the outfits, the, the hair, Megan's hair and everything. And thinking I will only be happy when I have those. But then this column is about something that's happened to me and it's made me realise that just being okay is is enough. People will be quite shocked by this column on Sunday. So I've come to the revelation that just being able to walk upstairs and watch telly on my iPad and open my eyes is enough. Small pleasures. That's all yeah. I want. Yeah. I just want to go to the co-op and get back in my car without being frightened because since this column is all about since New Year, I'd be walking the dogs and I would feel as if I was floating. And I had that when I was a teenager doing my A-levels and I was very stressed about my A-levels and I revised all the time. And I remember my dad said to me, you've got to stop revising, Lizzie. We're going to go to Chelmsford and do some shopping. So we got to the multi-storey car park and I got out the car and I felt as if I was floating yeah. and I couldn't understand words. And it was like a panic attack. And I remember my dad didn't know how to handle it because he's, he's quite an old-fashioned Nazi-fighting person. Didn't know how to handle it. So I was really having an anxiety attack. Yeah during my A-levels. And so my mum and dad said, you've got to revise less, you've got to eat more. And because I had a panic attack in a multi-storey car park, I've now got a phobia about multi-storey car parks. So now, I've because I felt I was floating on my walk, I've got a phobia about going that way. I was in the co-op and I felt like I was going to fall over in the co-op. And I've now got a phobia about the co-op. I can't go to the co-op. And I've got dizzier and dizzier since New Year to the point where I called you, Nick, and I was in my car yeah, and I couldn't yeah. get out my car yeah, yeah. because I couldn't walk. Yeah. And every couple of days I've been having vomiting fits that last pretty much 24 hours, And they're so they? violent, aren't they? And I'm just shouting, Nick, Nick, <laughs> Nick. So Nick's turned into my carer. So it's been actually... I might laugh about it, Just but it's been incredibly frightening because I don't know if I can walk my dogs. I don't know if I can walk up the stairs. I'm too frightened to open my eyes because the room is made you nervous, isn't it, to drive or go and do stuff? Do, or, I can't yeah, plan yeah. anything yeah. because I don't know if I'm going to get these dizzy spells. So finally, 
I went to the GP and I haven't been to the GP. I have a private one in London. I think he's died or at least he's retired. And the last time I went to the GP in London was when I had to get my vaccinations for I was going to Africa on a story. So I never go to the doctor. No, I'm very don't. stoic. You, you know, like you're always at the doctor. I've never, I've never been. I've never, didn't even no, have I need a, to marry you a doctor. You had to get, you had to get me listed on the on the practice. Yeah, I did. And when I went to the GP, she was pretty useless. She said, "Well, maybe you're dizzy because one of your ears has got wax in it." Mm. I said, and I said to her, "It's too violent to be that. It's too violent to be that." So the whole of the column this week is really about me being incredibly frightened. Going to the GP, they think it might be many years, but they don't know. And they booked me in for a brain scan because it might be something quite serious. It might be a stroke. It might be a brain tumour. Something might have happened in my brain. Um, but they've given me this medication which sort of keeps the lid on it. But yeah. now I'm too frightened to go to the co-op, which yeah. isn't a bad thing, really, because I hate the co-op. I was going to say, you, 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 that works for you, doesn't it, really? You don't want to go co-op no. anyway. But it's actually been really frightening, hasn't it, now? Yeah, it is. It's been But horrible. this is the first time, really, that I've had really an issue with my health properly. And it sort of put my life into perspective because all I want to do is watch EastEnders and yeah. open my eyes. Yeah. You know, I don't want the Georgian mansion or George Clooney or that perfect dress. I want to just be able to walk upstairs. I think that's where contentment lies, isn't it? It's not about aspiring to, to these wonderful things, which, of course, we'd all love. It's about accepting what you've got, enjoying what you've got and appreciating what you've got. And, and, and if you can do that, I think you'd be a lot happier. But then what drives you to write a book? Doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you don't aspire to do things or you, you, that you can't have ambitions, but accept where you are now and embrace where you are now doesn't mean that you you're not trying to to yeah. do more. But now I would appreciate a lovely dog walk without worrying that I'm going to keel yeah. over and, and, the, and exactly. that everything's going to spin. Exactly. I mean, to be fair, I would appreciate George Clooney. So you can scrap that off of your list. You don't want George Clooney. I would appreciate George he's Clooney. He's a bit old now for you. If, yeah, he is, but he's old and rich and still handsome, so I can work with it. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Watching the tennis, I know you don't like tennis either, do I you? Now, no, I honestly. But I was watching Emma come on for her match, and she seemed to have. Tr she was clutching her stomach, and she was clutching her dress, and she, and she seemed to have trouble breathing. And anyone who meets me, say I go and view a property, or I have my hair done. Everyone always says to me, are you okay? Why are you panting? Yeah. Have you just been running? Why are you panting? Everyone says it to me, don't they? Yeah, um, Liz has got a very noticeable uh, breathing um, pattern when she's stressed, and it does sound And like... actually, at my illness during this, you called an ambulance, yeah. didn't you, Nick? Yeah, and these two people arrived in my bedroom. I couldn't open my eyes and look at them. And the man's no, the woman said to me, "Why are you panting?" And I said, "I always breathe like this," because yeah, yeah. she thought I was having a cardiac yeah, yeah. arrest. But I always breathe like that you because do. I'm always anxious. You do, and it's making me feel quite cheerful now because I've been anxious since I was five. Yeah. When I went to school, 
the first day, I wouldn't go in the playground. And my mum had to keep taking me back to school to go in. I wouldn't go in the playground because I was too nervous, age five, to go in the playground on my own and let go of my mum. And then finally, on about day five, she took me back and I let go of her hand and I went in the playground. And this big boy ran into me and knocked me over. So I learnt, age five, that bad things do happen to me. Yeah, and I think anxiety's been a driver for you, hasn't it? Because, like, work-wise, anxiety pushes you forward because you want to be better, you want to make sure that you produce the best you can, and part of that is an anxiety about what you're doing, isn't it? Whereas for me, I don't get anxious in the same way. If I fail, I fail, and that's it. You know, I don't want to fail. I'll do my best, but if I do, I'll learn from it and move on. But for you, it's, it's a real catastrophe, isn't it? Well, I never, ever think I'm good enough. So say when I'm filing a column for the newspaper or filing my column for you magazine, I always will push myself to do my absolute best. I know it's going to get me into trouble. I know I'm going to get divorced and they're going to complain and someone's going to try and sue me and I'm going to lose all my friends and I'm going to lose my boyfriend and I can't go in that restaurant again and I can't go in that shop again. I will always go to the max because I believe I'm useless. And you also, you catastrophize everything. So you worry about things that may not even happen. But they do happen. But not I didn't want to go running into the playground when I was five because I was too scared to leave my mum. When I ran into the playground, I was knocked over. I've always done my best with a column and I've never yeah. not betrayed anyone. I've betrayed my husband. He begged me not to. Um, I betrayed family betrayed my mum published a picture of her when she was very very ill I was still made bankrupt I still lost my house I still spent every day when I walked the dogs when I before this is before I got dizzy and I walked the dogs when I was living in my lovely house I actually then turned for home and I thought when I get back to my home it's going to be barricaded and the door's going to be sealed and they won't let me in Yeah, yeah it was awful we didn't know one day to another, did we? No. What, what, yeah, I actually thought, thought on every dog walk, I'm going to walk back to my house and it's going to be a big piece of tape across it and I'm going to be homeless yeah. every single day, despite the fact I've never, ever had a day off See, sick. I, I mean, I've even worked through this, haven't I? You have. And, and I think to live like that is just awful. I mean, I'm just like... I always look on the bright side. I'm always optimistic. I'm always... It'll be fine... Because I just could not live like that. I always, you know, if, if if things are bad, it's raining men goes on, hallelujah, you know, sing, dance. I, I just refuse to live like that. And I, I, I don't honestly know how you survive like that. I just couldn't do it because I have to look on the positive side. Because it may never happen or if it does happen, there's so all you can do about it. You just have to find a way of dealing with it and you, you carpartmentalise, you do what you can and then you move on, but which it's you're very good at actually. But it's interesting though, isn't it, that even though I was so scared and did my best at work and betrayed, when I was getting divorced, it was on the front page of the Man on Sunday, I wrote a column giving every single detail... I still lost my house. I still lost everything I was working for. So does that make you regret betraying people? No, it it just makes me puzzled because I've put myself out there. I've 
got up at three in the morning to catch a plane to Marbella to be with the cast members of TOWIE and interviewed the owner of Reese about why he was using factories that didn't give people a living wage and filed and got home. And I still am incredibly puzzled why it's happened to me and I'm in- incredibly bitter. But look at the good that's come out of it. Out what? Of all, there's loads of good come out of it. If you hadn't have got divorced, then you would have been with a cheating, lying git for the rest of your life. You wouldn't have had Minnie Puppy, you wouldn't have had Lizzie, and you wouldn't have had me. So look at the positive. But it's made me quite tearful, actually, and watching Emma have to leave her match because she was suffering from anxiety. And I think it is clear now that it was all too much for her. And I blame the BBC, actually. They overhyped it. They kept all day before her match, they kept replaying her other matches, talking to her friends, talking to her old teachers. It was on BBC One when it should have been on BBC Two. It was on far too late. They overhyped it. But I was quite tearful when she left because I knew exactly how she felt. That she couldn't breathe. She was getting chest pains. But I get that every single day of my life. But this sort of thinking about Emma leaving Wimbledon, it sort of takes me to to the archive. And my archive is the very first editor's letter I wrote when I became editor-in-chief of Marie Claire. This is back in 1998. And people would think that becoming the editor of a magazine, you've made it fantastic you're in charge but I was phoned up I'd been for lots and lots of interviews to get the job I had to do what features would I publish who would I hire what I had to do all these mock covers what would my cover lines be who would be I had to show all the past covers I'd done uh Sunday Times style so at Sunday Times style I put David Beckham on the cover I put Spice Girls on the cover um so I worked really, really hard to get the job. And then she phoned me up and said, we want you, we think you'll be fantastic. We want you to be editor of Marie Claire. I turned it down. What? I turned it down. And she was so shocked I turned the job down. She went away and then she came back and she said, is it the package? Do you want a better package? We can give you more money. We can give you a better car. I said, no, it's not the package. It's not the package. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm the right person. I turned it down. Um... And I remember I crept off at work in the loo to turn it down because I didn't want anyone at work to know that I yeah. was offered this job. Yeah, yeah. But eventually she persuaded me to take it. And my first editor's letter, if you look at most people's editor's letters of L or Vogue, it's very much, well, I got Meghan Markle to edit this issue or, well, I'm an award winner and I'm a great boss and I make all these decisions and I know what I'm doing. So my first editor is all about how I turn the job down and I suffer from anxiety and I don't know if I'll do a good job, but I'll do my best. And in order to, to take on this job, I've read Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway and I'm overdosing on St John's Wort trying not to be anxious so it was really an editor's letter talking about my shortcomings the minute you want to poo on your birthday baby do you want a birthday poo no no birthday poo no so it was it was quite an unusual editor's letter because it was saying i probably don't know what i'm doing i hope you'll come along with me i'll try my best and i'm gonna try and learn 
and I'll make mistakes, but I'll try and do my best. Millie wants to But that's to. such a great attitude, isn't it? Like, I may bugger this up, but what the hell? Great, you know, we'll, we'll crack on. Because I never really appreciate anyone who's in charge of something. Most people, when they become in charge of something, they think they know everything and they're very confident. And But I actually never assume I know anything and I will always try and learn and I wanted to do my best in the job but I wasn't afraid to tell my readers actually I'm quite terrified about this I'm quite terrified about having 30 staff and I'm quite terrified about having an art director and going to board meetings in Paris. I mean, I used to hyperventilate before the board meeting in Paris. Yeah. It was absolutely awful. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying. And I, it was terrifying going to the fashion shows as well because everyone was so snooty and they were all so horrible to me. And it was just, it was a terrifying roller coaster experience. But you got your revenge from the people at the fashion shows. You've used them since. Yes. <laughs> She'll always get her revenge every time. <laughs> every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. like to get in touch then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess so sorry to interrupt liz but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners there's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. lovely readers now we're going to talk more about the readers in a minute because last night the reason nick and i are a bit tired we spent the evening just before the football with 96 96 u magazine readers didn't we Nick? and hopefully a lot of podcast listeners that we, i recognized a lot of names they're mainly my readers they make well your readers are probably also podcast listeners they're, they're mainly my readers one. they're mainly my readers okay your readers your readers um can i just say before we go to the letters We've got, um, I've been talking to a few of the listeners that are having a really hard time at the minute. There's, there's a, a lovely lady on here that's now a friend that's lost her dog. Is she a real friend? She, no, she's, she's become a real friend. Is she like one of your relatives? No, she, aren't your real she, helped relatives. Me what to, she, she helped me choose what to wear for the, for the launch last night. She's a real friend. And she lost her dog and she was so upset. And Is that Claire? Yeah, she's, she's, rescuing, she's rescuing a lovely staffy this weekend. So she's got a new, so that's wonderful. But... And there's another lady that's sort of upset. Her relationship's broken up and you know who you are. And I just like, we've just got such lovely listeners and we just like really feel for you. Do you have time to talk to them? I do. I do <sighs> have time because you're not cattle prodding me on my email. So we're, <laughs> we're right there with you, ladies. Like when you're having a hard time, we're right there with you. I just like feel so sorry for people going through horrible things. And me. And you. And you, of course. And you. 
So, getting back to our letters, we have Jessie J. Is it the real Jessie J? I don't know if it's the real J. It could be the real. She's got many ears as it well. It could be the real Jessie J. It's, it's a, this is actually a comment that was on your column last week. So I, I go, don't read those. I go scouring round. I don't read those because I get too depressed. No, I, I like reading them. I like reading them. I've come off very badly in some of them. But <laughs> I like reading them. So, Jessie J, real or not, says... The day I realised I should stop worrying about other people's opinions of me was the most liberating of my life. I'd rather sit on my own and enjoy my own company than sit with someone who keeps telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. Like Liz, I took a long, hard look at the friends who were passing judgments on me and realised I didn't actually like these people very much, so why should I care what they think? One said, do you mind if I say something? I was quite surprised when I said yes. I didn't want to hear what she had to say. That's a good attitude, Jessie. That's so good, isn't it? And I think you should be more like that. Who are your friends? Do you want them? If not, bugger off. Yeah, especially men. Yeah, especially men. All the men, I think so. Criticising my hair. Well, that leads me to Rosie, who says, I read Liz's column every week without fail. I realise how lucky I am to be a lesbian. Yeah, I wish I was a lesbian. I think she's got it sus because women must understand other women better. Men are just awful, aren't they? Yeah. When I was having the awful dinner with my ex-ex, I was just thinking, I wish I'd rung my friend Sue Needleman. Yeah. So I think that's it. I think you should force yourself over to the other side and just see what it's like. Dip your toe But in if the water. I'd been having dinner with a girlfriend, we'd have been chat, 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 chat. There'd be no awkward silences. We'd be wetting ourselves. Exactly. I think that's the key. Men are just key. boring, aren't they? I think that's the key. Just to find a lovely woman. I think that's what you should do. What about Claire? Claire. Claire says, love your column. Think you are so funny. I really identify with your stories with men particularly. Decided the only way men ever think well of a woman is if she's a bitch. So be horrible, get them running, Liz, and then tell us all about it. Which she will do, because she'll be trying. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was talking to her later, she always said we should sign up, do an online profile, be a real cow, and then see how it works. See if, they, see if they're all falling. Well, I've always been nice to men and bought them things like cars and Burberry suits. But then when I do stick up for myself, they just storm off in a huff and they just go. They don't They don't like you standing up Start to them. Start as you mean to go on, Liz. Start as you mean to go on. So Dawn says, just listen to yesterday's podcast. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for being so entertaining. Every week I listen to the podcast and smile and giggle all the way through. You're both fantastic. My husband rolls his eyes and leaves the room. What would my week be without you? See, men should appreciate this podcast. They'd learn. They'd learn. Listen and learn. This is what not to do. So we are very tired, aren't we, Nick? Because we had the Zoom book launch. We had 96 U Magazine readers last night. Which was fantastic. And everyone had dressed up. Yep. And it was the launch of my actual print paperback of my novel. And... Also, it's going to be on Audible, so you'll be able to listen to my novel as well. Yeah, that's really exciting. We can't wait to do that, can we? And if you buy it from my website, and it's all going to be live on Friday... When I get the text sorted. (laughs) You will get not just a signed copy, you will get a chapter and a recording of my next book as a bonus. You will. A personalised signed copy. You might get some mini wanting a poo in the background because I recorded the chapter. (laughs) 
And you'll get a personalised signed copy if you buy it from my website. Yes, so you can pre-order and it's it's actually available on the 14th of July. Yeah. We're still waiting for a, de- a, a date for Audible, aren't we? But um, hopefully that will follow soon. Very, very shortly. Yeah. So it was all delayed by horrible people in China eating bats, but now it's coming out. It's coming out and we're it's coming, coming home. It's coming home. It's coming this home. Is coming home. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.